Welcome to another episode of Downton Gabby, where we discuss Downton Abbey in our funny feminist and foul mouth way. This week we are discussing season five, episode seven. I'm Brandy Sperry in Los Angeles. I'm Shannon Bowen in Oakland. And I'm Teresa Schechter in Brooklyn. Well, it finally happened, guys. Cora learned the truth. Can we just talk about that this season is Cora's moment? I never thought I would love this character, and she is amazing this season. Yeah, I mean, she's really standing up for herself. She had some great moments basically telling Violet, you know, I am i can't believe you did this to me. You've been... I mean, I think the undercurrent was something along the lines of, you've been trying to control what goes on in my house for a long time, and this is kind of the last straw. This is my house. These are That's my daughter. Yeah, give me the chance to love her. You know, give me the chance to be a mom. Julian has been writing really good speeches for her, her thing with Robert, her thing now with Violet and Rosamond. Um, She's been getting great quips. Um, She's been, you know, giving as good as she's getting with with Violet for sure. Um, It's been been really good. And it's sort of like, ignore Cora at your risk. I love her response to hearing about Edith's plight and she's like I'm gonna go down and get my daughter and I'm gonna find a way to keep her and keep my granddaughter and I just it was such a mama bear you know it's like don't fuck with my cub you know (laughs) I loved it and I think we've really underestimated her and I'm I'm really confused and interested Teresa in your opinion you've been watching season one again that she was close to her daughters. What happened? What what happened? Why, how did she get outside of the circle of trust? What happened? Well, I mean, obviously Julian got bored of writing stuff for her. And then he sort of rediscovered her as an interesting character this season. Because really in season one, she was totally invested in her daughter's lives. And then, you know, not so much. And he liked the whole Robert and his daughter's thing a lot better. And so this season, he's like, oh, yeah, Cora. Well, yeah, I could think of some good things for her to do. I don't know. This is just my guess. Um, I think he just gets more interested in some characters and less interested in others. But what do we all think of her plan? I don't... Ugh, it's not good. It's not going to work. <laughs> this is a terrible plan. Yeah. Well, especially the preview for next episode and, you know, Lord Grantham's going, there's something about that marigold. It's like, okay, this is not going to hold. <laughs> Right. Well, I don't know how long it'll be a secret. Absolutely. But like, generally speaking, like I was listening to her saying the plan and I was thinking like she was very um, confident. She was saying with a lot of confidence, she's like, this is what we're going to do. And then we're going to do this. Then we're going to say this. And I'm thinking, good for you, Cora, get in there and take charge. And I, and I was really thinking like count on an American to come up with an excellent cover up plan. But I think that um, then I, I, <laughs> the more you start thinking about it, uh, the more it, it's uh, fraught with some problems named Mrs. Drew. Yeah, multiple reasons. Yeah, our, our Twitter pal at Bone Claire was like, uh, Mrs. Drew's not going to be okay with the town thinking she just gave the baby up she, after she like showed up at Downton. She would have spilled the beans about the story if Violet and Rosamond hadn't like gotten there first. Mm-hmm. I mean... And then, on the other hand, there's Edith herself. I mean, we've seen how she 
uh, will throw a fit at perceived or actual injustices when she's treated unfairly. How do you think that's going to magnify when she's looking at her daughter, who really is a daughter of Downton, and is probably going to be treated much differently than George and Sibby within the walls of her own house? Right. She's going to be the, the, the little foundling that has to clean the house and gets all the hand-me-downs from Sibby. She, it's a Cinderella origin story. It is. It's a total, total <laughs> Cinderella origin story. She's going to get Sibby's hand-me-downs. She's going to fall in love with George. They're going to find out that they're first cousins. That won't matter one bit because they're British aristocracy. And I just don't see it going well. I think the two points that you bring up, Brandy, are really trigger points in this plot line. And... I, I really like seeing Edith in London. You know, she has a secretary She's who's covering for her. She's running around making deals. Holding pieces saying, of paper. No, you'll me- holding pieces of paper that are very important. <laughs> you know, saying, no, you meet me at the tea house down the street. You know, I loved it. I loved it. And so it's like for her to shrink back into this house of lies where nobody takes her very seriously, it's like, it doesn't feel like a good deal for Edith, even though her mom is trying to support her in the only way she knows how to. She was such a boss in that office. And did you see that outfit, that like tunic sort of thing with the beautiful embroidery on the shirt? I loved what she was wearing, first mm-hmm. of all. And second of all, yeah, she's like, okay, meet me down the street. No, you can't see Marigold. No, this is what I'm going to do. And then she's going to, you know, she's going to go home. She's like, well, well, Papa, do you think it's a good idea? Uh, Papa, uh, excuse me. That seems like a poorly written character. You can't be both. You know, either you're in charge or you're a passive daughter, you know. And I think she should stay in London and make it work, personally. But I'm happy to see Cora stand up for her. I, I, was, uh, I was very touched by the whole Isis storyline, which we'll talk about later, I'm sure. But the fact that she's trying to talk to everyone about the Marigold thing and all they really care about is the dog. Oh and my then God. finally when Edith, when Edith does say, like, okay, Papa, what do you think? And he's like, what? What are we talking about? No, it's like throw Edith a bone. I mean, can't you give her one scene where she's not interrupted or upstaged? Come on. Not within the walls of down, which is exactly why she shouldn't be going back there with her child. Mm-hmm. And uh, one side note to this whole thing is I believe that the conversation between Cora and Rosamond in her bedroom unfortunately kills our favorite fan conspiracy theory mm. of Rosamond being Edith's real mother. Ugh. Well, Rosamond was being extremely conservative. She went with her to Switzerland to have a secret baby, and now you're like, the only answer is to send the baby again to Europe. I mean, I feel like she should be taking a little bit more risks. And But what do we think of the whole, Edith moves to America, becomes Mrs. Thing in Detroit? That was horrifying. <laughs> that was worse than Switzerland, becoming Mrs. Thing. Well, I like the Chicago thing, you know, because of like the World's Fair, and that's cool. I actually don't I mean, remember when that happened. Like, but. This is like years after the World's Fair. Okay. But when <laughs> probably like when a was. lot of women were murdered there. <laughs> <but>. <laughs> okay, I did read Devil in the White City, and so my whole suggestion is terrible. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. everybody don't. It's a terrible suggestion. No, she's gonna get. Yeah. She would get to Chicago right in the middle of all the gangster stuff. Mm. 
bootlegging prohibition no cocktails yeah there's no cocktails oh god i do have to say this episode there was a severe lack of sparkly headbands but the hat game was on point Hmm. (laughs) on point i mean how many hats does rosamund bring for one trip (laughs) she had like a lot of hats well edith had a great hat i'm loving mary's new hat Mm -hmm. But what about Mabel Lane Fox's sparkly headband? It was a little awkward. I don't know if I loved it. It kind of looked like, like the across the forehead yeah, yeah, headbands yeah. much. It kind of looks like when toddlers do that with like their mom's necklace, you know, and they put it on. They're like, "I'm a princess." It's like, no, you just kind of look go- like a goober. But you know, and I feel like she deserves better than Tony. I mean, she is a catch, and she's just getting Mary sloppy seconds. Come on, she deserves better. Yeah, Tony's spiral down in my esteem continued in this episode where after he's been so relentless in his pursuit of Mary despite her being very clear that she's not interested all it takes is her kissing another man to be like oh well you could have said something I mean he is literally that guy who won't leave you alone until you say you have a boyfriend right also that kiss was terrible (laughs) that he witnessed it was like not even good they used the um fashion show music for it did you notice that they did i did notice that apparently that's now their their theme for flirting and hygiene (laughs) yes and mary was wearing the skirt from the fashion show by the way that sort of you've got this fashion show memorized (laughs) bottom skirt in a kind of a beige khaki color it came with a matching jacket that she wasn't wearing, but I'm sure that was the skirt. So now she's rid of Tony, but it seemed like she that kiss perked something up with her towards Charles, but he's going to be going to Poland for a year, of course. Yeah, that pretty much killed any boners we may have had over that. My boner's still intact, but I think... <laughs> just Your update. boner can last a year. Just update. It is. Um, but... I don't, she doesn't seem that interested in Charles Blake. I mean, I think we are all interested in Charles Blake, but she, I don't know, she just doesn't seem as interested. She's too above the fray right now. No one's swept her off her feet. Yeah, and also, I think she's interested in him because she's not interested in Tony, so she needs to be interested in somebody else. Mm -hmm. You know, she needs Mm -hmm. to be captivating somebody, and who else is there? Lord Merton's sons? I mean, oh my god. Hashtag douchebags. What a birth control ad that was. Jesus. Don't have children. They could turn into monsters. Seriously. They were horrible. They were just horrible. (laughs) I uh, I can't. I was thinking... Lord Grantham must be wishing that that Miss Bunting was at the table right now. (laughs) It's like... Oh, so much worse than Miss Bunting. That was just a warm-up act. No, like, oh, if only Miss Bunting was here, things would be so much better. It was really funny the editing that they kept going to Mosley's face, being like, <laughs> I just imagined him like at the end of um, Bridget Jones, a fight, a real fight. Oh, no. <laughs> he was just soaking it. Up. I know. When I was live tweeting, I wasn't watching the TV screen all the time, and I and I missed a lot of those subtleties. And then I rewatched it this morning on the PBS website. And I caught so many of those, like, smirks and side eyes and things. And Mosley was great. And, like, Carson looking at Mosley and Mosley looking at Thomas. And, you know, it was great. I just feel so bad for Lord Merton that he just seems so mortified 
that these hellion children of his ex-bitch wife, you know, are coming in and insulting the love of his life. And it was just, I felt so bad for well, him. Well, they're insulting everybody. <laughs> just like equal, equal opportunity douchebags, those guys. Right. I mean, yeah, seriously. They were, they were basically like, oh, you guys have let your weird cousin take over, blah, blah, blah. Why do you even invite her to dinner? Like, it was, it was just... Ugh, just terrible all around. And it was sort of nice to see um, Lord Grantham and Tom both uh, support each other in being like, now this really is too much at the dinner table. <laughs> How many times has, has Robert asked somebody to leave his house now? Every day. <laughs> How many outbursts? Like, I feel like between Miss Bunting and Mr. Tanman and now... The Mertons douchebag sons. It's like he's gonna have a heart attack or something. I'm really worried about him. It's like every dinner party is gonna raise his blood pressure. I really hope that Isabel doesn't call off this engagement. She seems so distraught at the end there, and I do think it's it's probably correct for her character to sort of backtrack and reconsider things. She just loves considering things. Mm But I'm just going to feel like it's not right if she decides to call this off after she already made her decision, you know? She's pretty confident in herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so to have that happen, I'm just, I don't think it would be right. I think she's a Virgo. I think she's just always, <laughs> or maybe a Libra, always thinking, weighing things. I should probably just do some Zodiac predictions right. for all yeah, the characters. Yeah, you should definitely do some, do some down astrology <laughs> down for astro- do we know when she was born? Because, you know, in the Downton Wikia, they have, like, a ridiculous amount of information. All right. I'll come back next week with some Downton astrology. You can do their charts. I, will say, I can't do that much, but I can say general things about each sign. Yeah. If if um, if she decides not to marry him because of those douchebags, I'm going to be so mad. I'm going to be madder than... <laughs> Can't think of anything. Then I don't what? know. It's been a pretty good season, actually. <laughs> I'm gonna be madder than when they keep talking about Mr. Green. Oh my god! If I have to listen to Mr. Bates talk about cleaning shoes <laughs> one more time, I'm just going to throw my TV down the hill. I can't give him another line or another hobby. I cannot hear him talk about cleaning shoes. The the West Coast Twitter crew has basically started a drinking game where you just drink whenever you see the shoe shine room. <laughs> Because it's just been very prevalent on the season. It's like the only place where Anna and Bates chat, and it's really weird. It's really depressing. Ugh. Okay, but going back to Isabel and Lord Merton and his, you know, Dickie with his dick sons, you know, I just, that whole time I felt like they kept, you know, panning over to Violet and she wasn't saying anything. And I thought she was going to say something and stand up for her friend, and I was I felt myself being disappointed that she didn't. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. What did you guys think about that? I thought that too. Although I was thinking, like, what, what would Violet do? WWVD. Um, <laughs> like, does she say something? She's she's the kind of person that doesn't want to cause a scene. So I don't feel like she would have wanted to escalate it. And she's already asked Edith about those columns that she's writing at somebody's garden right. at this time of year. She, I think she's used a lot of her deflect the conversation to something innocuous lines. I can see her, yeah, like not saying anything then, but she's got a, 
take some kind of action afterwards. You know, some the way that she sort of moves people around like pawns once in a while. I feel like there's got to be some sort of uh, public denouncement she can make of those sons in a subtle way that will sort of let them know that they made a grievous mistake. Right. Well, and it, the whole, her whole speech about losing her best friend. Well, this is when her friend needs her more than ever. Yeah. I mean, this was a really traumatic thing, and now she's questioning everything. And just when she brushes past her in the hallway leaving, it was like this was like a little arm squeeze, a you know, a kind word or a little quip or something. And I don't know. I mean, part of me is like, okay, I think Violet is just – she expected this to happen, and maybe she was trying to shelter um, Isabel from this cruelty that a lot of the upper class will think of her. But I don't know. I want her to reach out, and I hope that happens next episode. Her tea with Mary, uh, where she talks about why she's really upset about Isabel and Dickie getting engaged, was so beautiful and is exactly why we all think she should be winning all the Emmys this year. Because... She's been wonderful the whole season, but that's just an example of how well-written her, her role is and how beautifully she can execute it. And this is what, like, honestly, what a bitch Mary continues to be in every episode. Yeah, she's really callous this season, but she doesn't have a best friend. She has no idea, really, what Viola's talking about. Who's her closest friend? Anna. Anna, her maid. Yep. You know, she has no idea what it's like to be close to a woman. Yeah. The only person she's ever really been close to in her life is Matthew. What about Annabelle Portsmouth? They had a whole sketching trip together. Oh, no. Sorry. Right. No, they didn't. Still haven't seen those sketches. <laughs> yeah, where are those sketches, Mary? Waiting on those sketches. But I love that scene with Violet and Mary, and it reminded me of uh, one of my favorite lines I've ever written in a script, which is, every wedding is a funeral for the best friend who's been replaced, because I think we've all felt that. Yeah. Of when one of your friends gets married and you know it's going to be that kind of marriage where they're not going to have as much room in their life for their friends. Mm-hmm. And it, it it hurts. You're so happy for them and you're grieving too. And I loved seeing I, – I, I, you don't see that often in a really touching way. Um, and I loved seeing it in a friendship between two older women. I, I loved it. It really, it really spoke to me. Was it you, Brandy, who suggested they could still like watch or listen to shows on the wireless at the same time while they're on the phone? Yeah, like I used to do in junior high before we had like cell phones and stuff. You'd get on the cordless phone and you know watch whatever show with your best friend and talk about it while it was on until your mom yelled at you that she needed to use the internet. Right. (laughs) Well. And Brandy, you and I text each other. We'll we'll watch things that on demand. We'll hit play at the same time. That's true. We have you done do that. that, and then proceeded to have text commentary. Mm-hmm. So the other wedding bell situation that we have in this episode is Rose and Atticus and their like closet proposal wherever they were when this took place. I was like, it was really cute, but I kind of was like, Atticus, you could have like you know, plan this out a little bit more. Matthew proposed in the falling snow in front of Downton. Atticus could have pulled something like that out. Rose seemed quite, quite smitten and quite satisfied with it. She did. Um, but we'll, we'll see what his, his father thinks, though. Well, can I just say one thing? I love Rose, but she's kind of an idiot for love. <laughs> I mean, she would be happy with any proposal. 
She's not the most discerning, and they're kind of rushing into this, so... Yeah. yeah. I hope it works out, because they're very cute together, but... I mean... I think they're cute together, and they seem pretty at ease together also, but yeah, I think they're rushing into it also. And I'm... I'm a little bit with Lord Cinderby, you guys. Wow. Mm. Well, okay, so I'm Jewish. I don't know if you know that about me. I'm the one making the, the Mazel Tov jokes on Twitter that nobody, like, gets. <laughs> and the, I hope we have a chair dance at the wedding. I actually think that it is a very big deal for the son of a family that is one of the leaders of the Jewish community and has clearly had great success uh, uh, for him to marry someone who is likely Episcopalian, Anglican, I would guess, and not Jewish, which means their kids won't be Jewish unless she converts, which means that, you know, the the, the future Cinderbees won't be Jewish. And I think that is a completely legitimate concern, especially given who the Cinderbees are and what they seem to have um, accomplished and, and the position that they hold in English society. I think he's got a point. Right. As far as the storyline is being written, I found it very refreshing that this character was raising those points in a sort of rational, not a rational way, not like forbidding things without meeting anybody and this and that. Like the way that he was talking about it at the dinner table, I felt like this is a, this was a new way of approaching this kind of storyline instead of it just being totally black or white. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I thought that was I thought that was really nice. It, like the way that the show is approaching the storyline is is pretty nuanced. I, I think it's all been very well written. Um, I do. Um, but I, I have to say that I, I think that, that um, Atticus's mom is, like, a little too enthusiastic, actually. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, I think that that is unrealistic, especially when you... It's not only that they're Jewish. They're Russian Russians who were exiled from their country for being Jewish. So... For him to marry someone who isn't Russian and isn't Jewish, it's completely erasing all of their heritage. Mm -hmm. I I think that's a lot to take in, and I find it very strange that she is all for it. My perception of the mom is that she is still a little um, enamored of this world that they've moved him up into. That she's a little, like, drunk with pleasure at the fact that they're even having dinner at Downton in the first place and the idea of marrying into that family like this is a skyrocketing social thing for them on the other side you know you think so I actually didn't I I I find her very secure in her position and very good at being a rich lady but that's different than being uh aristocracy and they recently only bought their titles and they, yeah it's not the same right it's it isn't the same yeah so it's like what what the levinsons did when they bought their way into you know the earl of grantham's world right um yeah and and it's it's true i just feel like i'm just more with the dad than the mom at this point not that i don't think that rose and atticus should be together because i think they're absolutely adorable but I do think that this is an actual issue, and I'm glad that they're actually talking about it. Right. Cause, and let's think about what's right around the corner. You know, World War yeah. II is right around the corner, and all of this is going to be much more amplified. And I do think these are real issues that they're going to come into more and more. And 
I don't I don't know if I'm totally on board with this wedding. I mean, I think they're great together, and I think they're they have great chemistry. But you know, it takes a lot to have a successful marriage, and we've seen that a lot on the show, and especially with the stresses that are coming soon. I don't know. So, Julian Fellows, uh, there was an interview with Julian Fellows that ran in the Forward, which is a Jewish daily paper, actually a really good paper. Um, and he he talks about his debt to Judaism, which I thought was a bit of a stretch. <laughs> but um, but he does talk about like how anti-Semitism was, is so ingrained in English aristocracy that they're hardly aware of it. Like someone will say something like, you're rather Jewish looking. And they don't know they're separating a whole category of people. That's, that's what he said. Um, and he said that one of the first girls he went out with was Jewish, and she belonged to one of the great Jewish families. And they certainly didn't want a Catholic in their family, which Julian Fellows was. Although, when the Jewish girl marries the non-Jewish guy, her kids are still Jewish. So that's less of a, you know, tragedy. Well, it was interesting hearing about Cora's father. Yeah. I, I loved hearing that backstory. So... I, do you think that wasn't... It's interesting that then Violet or Lord Grantham didn't say anything because maybe... Do you think it was an issue for them that her father was Jewish? I think it was something they talked about, <laughs> yeah. I think the fact that she was bringing all this money in kind of helped smooth the way, but I'm sure there was like a conversation about the Levinson family. Although, again, Cora got such a great zinger when she said, you know, our family didn't change our name. She also wasn't escaping, you know, the Bolshevik. Oh, no, sorry. She wasn't escaping, you know, Russian persecution, you know. So, yeah, I don't know. A little bit more extreme situation. But, yes, points to the Levinsons, for sure. Yes, points to the Levinsons. But I, I think her father was like a lot of Jews who wanted to be successful in the United States, and the route for doing that was to just assimilate completely. So mm -hmm. that's really like a pretty standard route to, to make it in society and business and you just sort of lose your Jewishness along the way. Yeah, here, let's just take a moment and be thankful for this awesome party we got to watch, which it reminded me a lot of great Jane Austen novels where there's all the young people playing cards and flirting and stuff. We don't often get that many young people at a party. I know, I was thinking what a great party it was. It looked like so much fun and I was looking at who's talking to who and everybody's mingling with each other. A lot more fun in the yeah. last couple episodes. Yeah. Well, they also had a great luncheon at the farm, guys. Oh. They can party downstairs, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, my party God. Party at the farm. So, first of all, Daisy talking about how she's so discouraged by the labor government. She's been reading about it in the paper. I mean, Daisy, we love you so much. I mean, it's hard. It's hard when you're a freshman in college and you realize how fucked up the world is. Totally. That's what it was. I was trying to think of what she reminded me of, and it's totally like you're in your freshman poli-sci class. Yeah. And you're like, oh, God, we're never going to be able to fix this with a bake sale, guys. But then everyone is really encouraging her, and Mosley's still trying to start his book club with her, and then... Which, can I just, as a side note, like, will someone read a book of Mosley? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. I was like, it's Vanity Fair. Somebody read it. It's good. Yeah. We should start a hashtag Mosley book club or read a book with Mosley. <laughs> read a book. Well, we're all reading Vanity Fair this month. Can someone please Photoshop a picture of Daisy with this is what a feminist looks like t-shirt on? Because she is like, she's like, I just feel like the men who are in charge will always be in charge and will always be held down. And it's like, yeah. 
It's true. <laughs> Your feeling is truth. This season is just making me realize why I love this show as a feminist. I think the last couple seasons were kind of hard. And this season, it's like, yes, Julian, you have some feminist in you when you steer away from the rape story. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the only, the only thing in this episode that bothered me on that topic was Mabel, who just keeps throwing herself at Tony and keeps telling Tony how much she mm -hmm. loves him and just like, uh, yeah. really, Mabel? Like, come on, you're a fox. Literally and figuratively. Yeah, she's been she's been a little bit wasted. I was so pleased with her in the first couple of episodes when she at the dinner scene and stuff like that and uh, unfortunately she hasn't really developed beyond this thing where she wanted to get Tony back. Right. And I feel like if this is a modern story, she would be like the cutthroat editor of like Cosmopolitan magazine or something. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> she would have leaned in. And this was such a departure. It was such, you know, 10 steps back of just, I'll do whatever it takes to get this man when she seemed pretty happy without him. Well, I think that Spratt is giving quite a challenge to Mosley as the comedic champion of Down Abbey because his little drama queen fits were amazing. First of all, I was very mad when he came bursting back in right after Lord Merton had left because I thought it was going to be like another Matthew moment where like, Someone died. And I was like, God, Spratt, I thought Dickie collapsed. You can't just burst in here like that. His tortured existence is just hilarious. Spratt is the drama queen of Downton Abbey, and we love him. And you know what? If he was in modern times, he'd be a great drag queen. I want to know why Spratt and Carson have never been in the same scene together. Because I just really <laughs> want to see them, like, talk about how everything has gone to pot and... They don't know what to do. I feel like what would happen is they would talk to each other and then Sprat and then um Sprat would be totally unreasonable. And afterwards Carson would be like, What's with that guy? And Mrs. Hughes would be like, That's how you are all the time. And Carson would have this like moment of epiphany realizing that maybe like making sure everyone knows exactly what the bouillon spoon looks like oh. isn't so important. <laughs> We need an episode where they all go on the same errand and there's like a terrible snowstorm and they get stuck, you know, in a shed together with like a bottle of whiskey and they all get really <laughs> drunk. And I would totally watch that episode. Well, I love this episode. I just feel like things are really moving along and uh, fingers crossed for Marigold. Well, she's going to be better off than George who like, you know, only sees his mother probably five minutes a week. So... And apparently when he's brought in by his nanny, goes in the wrong direction and has to be redirected by her to go to his mother. <laughs> I don't know if you guys caught that little tidbit in the scene. Yeah. It was pretty funny. The kid's probably walking towards his real mom off screen. <laughs> <laughs> but it really works for the scene. Well, we should really end the podcast with a moment of silence for Isis. Oh. Because I did cry. I cried when she, when she died in the bed. So moment of silence for Isis. You were a great dog. We love your butt in the beginning of the credits. Thank you, Isis, for that butt. Thank you, Isis. All right. Should we do our one fabulous thing? Yes. Um, this week, I just want to give a quick shout out to the Twitter account, The Director List, um, which is a list of female film directors and links to female film directors' work and things like that. 
Um, the curator for it is Destri Martino. She's great. I've met her at film festivals. And it's coming up on the two-year anniversary of the account, so I know she's um, hoping to make a push for followers because of that momentous occasion. So please do check it out. Definitely love that Twitter handle. They're awesome. And, you know, all of our listeners that are interested in amazing work done by women, definitely follow them. Definitely. And I, and I want to say that I have known Destry for 14 years, I think. Wow. We met at Sundance. We were both volunteers. And she's fantastic. And she's the real deal. And, uh, I, yeah, everyone should be following the director list. And, uh, and also keeping up the conversation with her because she's always looking for more badass women to uh, highlight. I will give a shout out to probably a book that many people have read. And if you haven't, jump on it. I finally finished Yes, Please by Amy Poehler. And I just loved it. You know, I would just read a couple chapters before I went to bed. And it was like your best friend just giving you great advice and telling you funny stories. And her warmth just jumps through the page. It's just such an inspirational, great just companion at life. I loved it. So definitely check it out. Pick it up if you haven't yet. Okay, I also want to do Teresa's One Fabulous Thing for her because my day was made when I received a handmade Galentine in the mail from Therese. And mm-hmm. it was the best. And I just think we should all make this a tradition to send our girlfriends Galentines the day before Valentine's Day and just tell each other why we love each other. I just loved it. It was the best tradition, and I think we all should do it. Yes. Mine was all sparkly. It had a martini on it. I was very happy. Yeah. Thanks, you guys. It was really fun making them. So I want to make it an annual tradition because I enjoyed making them as much as you enjoyed receiving them. And since we're talking about how awesome I am, I guess my one fabulous thing is I reviewed Fifty Shades of Grey. Uh, I watched the movie so you don't have to, and Ms. Magazine published it, and it's actually posted on the Facebook site for Downton Gabby. Uh, as of 24 hours ago, it had gotten 17,000 hits. Awesome! Wow. And counting, because that was just the first day. So, um, it's pretty funny, if I do say so myself, and I do actually, <laughs> <laughs> I do actually wish that the um, Dom was played by Meryl Streep as Miranda Priestley in The Devil Wears Prada, mm. rather than uh, <laughs> Jamie Dornan, who's like a cyborg. That, that does sound erotic. It would have been so much better, you guys. Anyway, have a read of it. That's my fabulous thing. <laughs> Sorry for the self-promotion, but... No, I think that's great. I love it. Okay, um, one last housekeeping note. We are still seeking ideas for your Downton spinoffs. We're going to leave that open for one more week. We've gotten some really funny suggestions, and so we want to make sure everyone has a chance to participate before we throw up a little Tumblr poll and get some fanfic going. So if you do have an idea for a Downton spinoff, nothing is too crazy or too out there. Just tweet it at us, um, tag at Downton Gabby, and throw in the hashtag, hashtag Downton Spinoff. So, for example, some of, some of the popular ones that, sh- that showed up on the live tweet this week, uh, spinoff idea from at Brinsonian, Anna anywhere doing literally anything without baits. <laughs> um, <laughs> here, here. <laughs> on, uh, on Tumblr, we got one from Lady Anna Crawley suggesting that we actually write about that idea of Mary and Mabel to live together by the sea, <laughs> which I also liked as well. 
Um, we've gotten a couple of requests for Mabel, so I think people agree with us that we want to see more of her and in more situations besides just pining over Tony. Mm-hmm. Um, but throw us your other ideas because uh, we really want to we want to stretch Julian's mind here and show him what can be done. I'm sure he reads our Tumblr. So there there are several couples contemplating bed and breakfasts. Which, yes, and. Uh, there are several couples that we think would make great private detectives. And, of course, there is the whole um, Sprat and Carson shipping that I'm trying to encourage. <laughs> okay, thank you for listening to another episode of Down Gabby. Um, as I said, you can find us on Twitter at, at Down Gabby, on Tumblr at downgabby.tumblr.com, or by searching Facebook Down Gabby, where you can find Teresa's Uh, deep thoughts about Fifty Shades of Grey as well. i